cell phone batteries dead. I think everybody hates that. Uh, a lot of people almost get the shakes when this happens now. You know, uh, we're so dependent on our phones, we start panicking. My cell phone, my cell phone is down. What do I do? What do I do? Uh, even for if, uh, even within the first few minutes, we start getting panicked, don't we? So we have all these different kinds of cell phone chargers. You know, we have the normal kind you plug into the electric outlet and the car phone charger. And then we have backup batteries and uh, we have solar powered uh, batteries to charge our cell phones. And don't they even have a thing where like some of these cell phones, you can touch someone else's cell phone that has power and it can give you a little bit of juice. I mean, all these different ways to power our cell phones. And now dead cell phones have become uh, plot points in a lot of movies and TV shows. You know, uh, the main character, the hero or the heroine, at just the wrong time, their cell phone either has no service or the battery's gone dead or they may have just like one bar or half a bar and it's uh, going out and you wonder if they're going to be able to make the phone call that uh, they desperately need to make that saves everyone. <sighs> But you know what's worse than having a cell phone run out of juice is when we personally in life run out of power. Maybe you know what I mean by that. Maybe you've experienced this. Uh, in life, you're running on fumes. All your energy is gone. Your resources, your reserves are depleted. Your personal battery has zero bars. You're exhausted. What I want to consider for a few minutes with you this morning is just how Jesus plugged into power and how he powered up for life. And I think there are some practical lessons for us to learn by looking at his example. How did Jesus power up? And uh, I want to stay with the Gospel of Luke this morning. So if you could be turning to, to Luke 5. Um, Luke is the gospel that by far sheds the most light on Jesus' prayer life. Uh, there are multiple, multiple passages in Luke where we see Jesus at prayer, and we're going to look at some of those, uh, at least a representative sample this morning. We'll, we'll be in Luke chapter 5, and I will begin reading in verse 15. We're just going to read two verses. Luke five fifteen. After healing a leper and then commanding him to silence, as Jesus did with folks so often early in the Gospels when there was a healing, uh, this is what occurs. Verse 15, yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now, the text doesn't merely say that Jesus went to a quiet or lonely pet place and prayed. We read about that sometimes, but this text says Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. It was his habit. Prayer was Jesus' lifestyle. Jesus stayed in touch with his Father, didn't he? Prayer for Jesus wasn't just a flare shot fired from the shores of despair. You know, sometimes people pray only uh, when something is really, really wrong, only in times of crisis. But prayer is not for emergency use only. I was hoping that someone would say amen to that. Prayer is not for emergency use only, right? Jesus our Lord, who set the example for us, often withdrew to lonely places and talked with his Father. 
And Jesus had a short ministry about um, about three years, not that many more than a thousand days, maybe eleven hundred ish. About 1,100 days and so much work to do to train his apostles. Um, Jesus could have spent all his time with the crowds, uh, ministering to them, healing them, teaching them. So many people to reach, so many people to help, and such a short time to do it. Yet in the Gospel of Luke, there's this cycle that we see taking place. Jesus would spend time with the crowds, ministering to the people, and in doing this, it's like his batteries go down, his reserves are depleted. Then Jesus would spend time with his Father and power back up. And then Jesus would be with the crowds again, and it's as if his battery is going down. And then Jesus would return to spending time with his Father, and he would get recharged. Uh, you remember uh, when you're on a plane, the flight attendant's customary speech. On the plane, if there's a loss of cabin pressure, the masks come down. Uh, and you remember the line about like this. If, you're, if your child or some other dependent person is by you, make sure that you put on your mask first and then put on their mask because you don't want to be in a situation where you're desperately fumbling with their mask and you're panicking because you can't breathe. That's not what they say. That part's not what they say, but that is the subtext. You can, if you put on your mask, then you can calmly put on your child's mask or the the person who's dependent on you. Part of Jesus' self care was prayer. This is how he recharges his batteries in life. To put it another way, this is how he stayed strong. He maintained a constant and intimate connection with his Father. This is the power source for Jesus' life. You know, the New Testament tells us to pray without ceasing in Thessalonians. Most modern translations will typically render this text something like, pray continually. Pray continually. Uh, pray without ceasing. Keep on praying and don't stop. Make it a habit. Make it a lifestyle. Be like Jesus. That makes sense, doesn't it? So first of all, Jesus prayed habitually and continually. It was how he lived his life. Secondly, Jesus prayed over big decisions. Chapter 6 in the Gospel of Luke. Luke 6, 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. I read that right, didn't I? And spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them who he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. In other words, who betrayed him. The choosing of Jesus' 12 disciples was a crucial decision. That's probably an understatement. They were going to lead the charge for the work of the kingdom after Jesus had died, buried, resurrected, and then was ascended back into heaven. They were, by and large, cornerstones for the early church. And in making this decision, Jesus talked to his father all night long. He sought wisdom from God. He spent the night praying. It's pretty intense, isn't it? I must confess to you, I've never spent the whole night praying. Not really even close. 
Have you ever made a, de a decision in haste without praying over it? I have. It was probably a mistake, wasn't it? Have you ever wished that you had prayed over a decision that you didn't pray over? I think we all have. You know, sometimes in life we get in a hurry. Sometimes we get ahead of ourselves. Uh, and sometimes we don't pray like we should. Important decisions need to be prayed over. That's the example of Jesus. Business decisions, financial decisions, purchases, purchases, relational decisions, dating, marriage, church decisions, installing elders and deacons, staff members for the church, even... Uh, key volunteer positions, undertaking different ministries. Significant decisions need to be handled with prayer. Prayer, in fact, must be job one. It's best not to just charge in blindly and stupidly, relying on ourselves rather than on God. Jesus prayed habitually and constantly. Jesus prayed intensely over big decisions. Number three, Jesus prayed for other people. Some folks call this intercessory prayer, and for me, this may be the hardest, the hardest work type of prayer is intercessory prayer. You plead with God on somebody else's behalf. Uh, you seek God's blessings for them. Luke 22, beginning in verse 31, I'm just going to read two verses. Luke Chapter 22 and verse 31, Jesus is talking. Uh, this is uh, shortly before his death. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew that Simon Peter was going to be put through the ringer uh, very shortly thereafter. Jesus was going to be arrested, put through the mockery of a trial, and crucified. And Peter was going to really, really be tested. He's going to be afraid for his life. Peter's going to be thrown into the fire. Jesus knew that Peter would deny him at this point, that Peter would falter and fail and betray him. But despite Peter's failure... God still had plans for his life. That's another lesson for another day. Despite Peter's failure, God still had plans for his life. So Jesus is praying for him. Jesus intercedes for him. Jesus talks to the Father on Peter's behalf. He prays for Peter's faith. He asks God to give him strength so that he might strengthen other people. Jesus prays for others. So Jesus prayed constantly and habitually, Jesus prayed intensely over important decisions. Jesus prayed for other people. And number four, finally, Jesus prayed when he needed strength. Again, in this chapter, still chat Luke 22, uh, Jesus is about to go to the cross. The cross is imminent. Verse 39, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about, a, withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. 
An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. The text says that Jesus was in anguish. The cross is right before him, not only the physical pain, but the pain of being separated from his father as he becomes the sin offering uh, for us and for the whole human race. Jesus was about to endure unimaginable pain, physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain. He dreads the suffering that is before him. He is in dismay at the pain that awaits. We don't typically see Jesus like this in, in the Bible. Typically, we see Jesus as bold and confident. We don't usually see this type of trepidation in Jesus. We don't usually see him staggering. He typically walks with a confident stride, but here his sweat is like drops of blood falling to the ground. So in his time of temptation, he prays, and he prays some more, and he prays more earnestly. That's what the text says. He prays more earnestly. He prays when he needs strength. He seeks connection with his father, and his prayers are answered. An angel comes and strengthens him. And presumably his prayer is answered in more ways than this. But we see this particular answer in the Bible. God sends an angel. The Father strengthens him. So let's review. Jesus prays continually and habitually. It is a way of life for him. Jesus prays intensely over big decisions. Jesus prays for other people. Jesus prays earnestly when he needs strength. There's a key point that I need to add here. The same resource that Jesus used when he needed strength is available to us. That seems like a big deal. The same resource Jesus used when he needed strength is available to us, isn't it? We can bring our needs to the throne of God. We have access to our Heavenly Father through prayer. We have access to the greatest power source in the universe, any moment, at every day, God is listening. Several years ago, Glenna and I went to Niagara Falls, and we took the boat ride uh, that took us right by the falls, uh, the boat, the Maid of the Mist. I'm sure some of you ha have been there in, in those boats. You remember they give you these little rain jackets to keep you dry. If you've been there, you know how impressive and how powerful the falls are. On average, almost 4 million cubic feet of water flow over the falls every minute. I remember being in that boat near the falls, the enormous roar, how powerful was the great Niagara Falls, the enormous volume of water hurtling over, the beauty, uh, the, the sound. The basic conclusion to be drawn is this. The God who created the falls is immensely powerful. And in reality, this creation represents only the faintest whisper of his great power. Our God the creator speaks galaxies into existence. The universe is his handiwork. And when we pray, we are in touch with the power source that is behind the entire universe. Everything from the tiniest molecules uh, to uh, constellations and galaxies. If Jesus needed the power of prayer, could we possibly need it any less? 
Several years ago, I read the story of Morris Siegel. He was a street person in Los Angeles. Now, on the surface, he seemed like your average L.A. street person, roaming alleys, sleeping outside, pushing his possessions around in a shopping cart. But there was something different about Morris. He had three bank accounts totaling over $200,000 in value, actually $207,421. In today's money, it had to be a whole lot more. I'm thinking maybe more than $400,000. Uh, but he had hundreds of thousands of dollars in today's money. In 1979, his father had died and left him this money. After Morris did not claim his inheritance, the Division of Unclaimed Property tracked him down. Morris did not show up at the meeting scheduled to, to deliver the money to him. So Morris's relatives basically forced him to accept the money, but they couldn't make him spend it. They rented an apartment for him. He never went there. He did take enough of the money to buy an old car where he slept in bad weather. Uh, Morris Siegel died December 14, 1989, with $3 in his pocket and an untouched fortune in the bank. Sometimes Christian act, Christians act uh, very similarly to how Morris Siegel did. Jesus left us something much more valuable than a few hundred thousand dollars. He left us many blessings, peace that passes understanding, boundless joy, and more to our point today, he left us access to heaven's throne room, enormous power and wealth. Not mere Niagara Falls power, universe-creating power, resurrection from the dead power, uh, forgiving the people who are cre crucifying you kind of power. Power is available staggering, mind-boggling power. Let me tell you another story of untapped power, and then I'm going to quit. Maybe you've heard of Hetty Green. When I was a little boy, I uh, read the Guinness Book of World Records almost to the point of memorizing it. Um, I knew so many of those records. Uh, for years, she was listed as the world's greatest miser. In her lifetime, the late 1800s and early 1900s, she parlayed a large inheritance into an astounding fortune estimated between $100 million and $200 million. In today's money, that's something like somewhere $2 to $4 billion. She was America's richest woman, maybe the world's richest woman. The city of New York borrowed money from her several times to remain solvent. But her miserliness was legendary. It's hard to sort out fact from fiction in her story. There were so many tales of her miserliness. It is said that she never turned on the heat or used hot water in order to save money. She wore one old black dress that she changed only after it had been basically worn out. One legend asserts that she instructed uh, her laundress to wash only the dirtiest parts of her dress in order to save money on soap. When her son broke his leg, she tried to take him to a free clinic. He ended up having to have his leg amputated from complications. Hetty Green was a woman of astounding contradictions. She had enormous financial acumen, but was clueless as to how to use her vast fortune for good purposes. She could accumulate and accumulate and accumulate, but had no sense of how to spend her money, which is the opposite of lots of folks. Lots of folks know very well how to spend their money, but almost nothing about how to accumulate. 
She had no idea how to access the power of her great fortune. She couldn't put her money to work for good purposes most of the time. Spiritually speaking, we have been bequeathed a fortune. We have a vast spiritual inheritance. All of heaven's vast resources are available to us. But too often our, our lives are prayerless and powerless. We're like cell phones with dead batteries. We can be like Morris Siegel, Hetty Green, possessor, possessors of vast but untouched fortunes. The Bible teaches us that God is a father who loves to answer the prayers of his children. Maybe these statements will sound familiar. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Make time for prayer every day. Make time, I say it again, make time for prayer every day. Knock on heaven's door, amazing answers await. Let's stand and sing the song of encouragement. If you have a need on your heart today, if you want to make a, a response to God, uh, you can come to the front. Let's stand and encourage each other. <laughs>